This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Hi, everyone. It's Fraser here. So this is the uh, third episode that we recorded during the Not the End of the World cruise in front of our live audience. So again, apologize for the audio quality. We recorded this on a portable uh, audio device, and you can definitely hear the uh, the audience in the background, which is uh, which was great, added to the live show. So this corresponds to episode 286, How to Debunk an End of the World Myth, and this is for December 24th, 2012. Enjoy the show. Everyone's always predicting the end of the world. Someone's going to tell you that this is the year it's all going to end, the end of planet Earth, and they're always wrong. But someone will eventually be right. Planet Earth is doomed. Let's figure out how. So this is my favorite topic ever. Uh, we're going to talk about all of the ways or the universe is just trying to kill planet Earth. And uh, so first, just to put this into context, how long has the Earth been around? Somewhere around 5 billion years. Exact numbers are still being argued, so I'm just going to go with 5 billion is a good starting point. 5.5 is out there, 6 is out there somewhere. Yeah, Yeah, right. So so all of the ways that have, you know, all of the dark forces working against our planet have uh, failed so far. All the real nemesis. Yeah, yeah, for for almost 5 billion years. They've all failed, and here we are still. And yet, uh, the end of the world is... In fact, well, as we're recording this, we are, uh, we are so, about to... So the end to... of the world is always not? Yeah. Because the universe truly is trying to destroy life as we know it on mm-hmm. the planet Earth. Right. Whether it be a random black hole that comes tumbling into our area of space and out of nowhere starts sucking in materials, mm-hmm. or a comet comes colliding towards our planet out of the sun and we don't see it until, well, we're about to die. Yep. There are so many ways that every day... We somehow survive miraculously, except really it's just probability. Right, okay. So, so then let's take a look at some of the kinds of classes of ways that our planet could come to an end. And I think we should be really clear to distinguish between uh, the ways that we can kill ourselves or the ways that, that human <laughs> beings are, can be killed. Those right? are almost as numerous. Right, and no, I understand that, but that's easy, right? That's True. all I'm saying. It's really easy to kill all of humanity. Ways to kill all life, which is a lot tougher. Yes. And the ways to actually destroy the planet right down to its very essence. Which, at, at, at the end of the day, is by far the coolest thing to discuss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And difficult. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's, let's start with humanity. Because I think when most people talk about that they, that they are, you know, we're going to, we need to save Earth, we need to protect Earth. That's not what we need to do. What we actually mean is we need to stop killing all of ourselves. And, so, and protecting and, I, we're, and the we're environment. We're a mass extinction right, right now. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and so it, it, within our lifetimes, we will probably lose the black rhino. And, and so this is where people are working mm-hmm. hard to try and gather seeds, gather genetic samples against that future when just like people are now trying to, well, resurrect the woolly mammoth that was killed off mm-hmm. by human hunters, well, someday we may need to resurrect a whole lot more. So what are some of the ways that we are... You know, potentially going to destroy the planet, destroy sorry, destroy humanity. Destroying humanity starts with viruses and bacteria at a certain level. There, there is always that inquisitive scientist who forgets the power that he has to destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever want to terrify yourself, read White Plague by Frank Herbert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, I always I always think about this that that in the olden days, you know, if you wanted to create a nuclear weapon, you need to have the some capability of a you know of a superpower, and then you could create a nuclear weapon. And then over time, you know, these viruses and genetic stuff, it's getting easier and easier and easier. And eventually, you know, you can imagine it's going to be in the hands of some you know, hacker kid and well, well, worse than that, country. I mean, you, you have bored individual working at a drug company with mm. full access to the labs, right. full access to state-of-the-art equipment, going in after hours, tootling away at what they think is going to be the next way to genetically engineer a cure to some horrible thing. And there's that one gene off. Mm -hmm. We we had scientists who created silly putty, which is when yep. not while not trying humanity. to do it. Right, yeah, of course. So so if people trying to create new adhesives can create post-it notes, which are awesome but not that sticky. Yeah. Um you have to worry about what someone manipulating right. genes of viruses okay. can do by accident. Okay, so someone's gonna accidentally make a virus kill us all. Okay, let's move on. Um, uh, you know, we can dis we can harm the environment enough that it can't support life. Yes. Right. We're so looking on that right now. Right. That that's kind of the the ugly is evil. Everyone awful. depressed yet? This is going to get a lot worse yeah. too. I love these shows. All right. <laughs> so so then there's the the fact that we live in a developing world. We live you and I in developed nations, but the rest of the world is working to get to the same one car per driver's license in the household that we, we experience in so many parts of the United States. And as we increase the number of cars, as we increase the number number of, of television sets, as we increase the infrastructure that humans have to travel and entertain themselves, this requires massive loads on our manufacturing, our shipping. Amazon Prime, something I am guilty of using, is destroying the world one overnight shipment See, at a time. And as a Canadian, I do not have access to Amazon Prime. <laughs> so so I am really doing my part for humanity. I, my husband and I compensate for yeah, you. Yeah, okay, all right. Wish those boxes around your <laughs> we, house we with do. a snow plow. Yeah, um, sadly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, right. Um, okay, so yeah, so we're gonna we're going to uh, sort of make the environment unlivable for humanity. But there's all these like weird things that we could be doing as well. When you think about some of the, you know, and I know it's not really that possible, but we could like do large hadron collider to create. That's like, some not kind going of to destroy the strange earth. That matter might that, no, we destroy the whole universe, right? <laughs> and we live in the universe. We do, but I right. that that one falls on the statistically as likely as monkeys to create Shakespeare right. with devastating effect. But yeah, it's not gonna happen. No, it's not gonna happen. But but I'm saying I, risk analysis. So, that's so all I'm saying. CERN can create a micro black hole, yeah. and that would be awesome. Yeah. Because if if it happens to evaporate, Stephen Hawking finally gets his Nobel Prize. Because theorists don't get Nobel prizes until what they theorize actually happens. Mm -hmm. So so we kind of need to evaporate a black hole for him. Right. The man deserves it. But if, if it doesn't evaporate, we now understand more about the universe, and we end up with a microscopic black hole very, very, very slowly nomming the center of our planet, which is fine, because yeah. it's only going to eat an atom every few decades. That's okay. So it's not going to actually destroy the Earth. No. So no, why are so we talking we about no this black fear. hole? Because it's awesome okay, to get right, Stephen right, Hawking right. the Nobel Prize. Okay, so, so we've talked a bit about the kinds of ways that humanity can kill itself. So what are some sort of ways that we're not going to kill our, that we're not going to do it, but could just humanity. Just humanity. Yeah. Like well, think about like an asteroid strike, right? Like it's going to come in. It's going it's to affect everything. It's going to affect everything. We're part of so everything. A stupid way right? that that would affect only humanity that that would devastate our way of life is we actually are running out of helium. 
It's, what? It, this is one of those things people don't think about unless you're balloons. a florist because the price of helium balloons is currently going through the roof. And the reason for this is helium is, is really a, a disposable gas. Once helium gets into the Earth's atmosphere, it is such a light gas that any random collision with an oxygen molecule could put it on a trajectory out of Earth's environment. It could hit, well, escape velocities through that type of a collision. Helium, once released in the atmosphere, is destined to leave our atmosphere. So as we mine helium as part of other ways that we're getting gases and, well, petroleums out of, of our soils, eventually we're going to run out of helium. This, this is something people don't worry about. But if we run out of helium, that destroys industry. It destroys science because we use helium to cool so many different things. And there's a, there was a great theme. I'm trying to remember. I'm sure someone's going to remember the name of this book. There's a great book about how... You know, we as human beings have have really gotten all of the easily accessible resources on planet Earth. We've gotten all the all of the you know chunks of iron and platinum and gold that were just sitting around on the surface of the Earth. And so, if we do go through some kind of mass die-off or real you know devastating impact to our industrial way of life, it'd be really really difficult for any follow-on civilization to do that because we're at the point now where we've got massive oil fields and you know to actually huge you know machines to extract the resources now. We, so, we went from yeah. you stab a stick into the ground in Beaumont, Texas, and out shoots oil <laughs> right. to, oh, crud, we have to dig a kilometer into the ground. Yeah, you have to tear apart northern Alberta. There, yeah. <laughs> there will be no second Bronze Age. Yeah, exactly. This is it. Yeah. If we destroy our civilization, Man, you, you have to wait. Well, since well, think of how long it's been since the dinosaurs died. That's yeah. how long it took for them to become oil. So, so there are all of these kind of, you know, uh, events that are going to impact humanity. Yes. So, but now to actually kill, you know, okay, enough humanity is in trouble. <laughs> I think it's, you know, for sure. But let's move on to life. All life on Earth. What would it take to wipe out all life on Earth? All life on Earth gets tricky because even an asteroid or a comet coming mm. in, unless it's like a Mars-sized or a Mercury-sized object, in which case it's no longer an asteroid or a comet. It's a rogue planet that does not actually exist. Right. Nibiru, planet X. So, so the the reality is a lot of the things that we freak out about, asteroids and comets, Mm -hmm. are a real concern because they can, well, wipe out large parts of the planet. You can imagine if an asteroid hit, say, off the Pacific coast, everyone up to the Rockies dead. Mm -hmm. That's a bad day. But that's back to us again, right? Well, everything. Everything. We lose all the redwoods. Losing redwoods would be a bad day. Not necessarily. The ones that were right there, sure, but the other some fish. of them are now in orbit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So the orbital fish, not so happy. Yes. But the rest of the fish are, you know, until, the, of course, you get this great column of, you know, this shrieking hail of rock and steam that fills the whole earth and lights the, you know, all of the forests on fire and everything so, burns. So the, but even that, it's not going to kill all the life. So, so the, the worst case we have in terms of asteroid is... And, and this is where it gets scary when you go to planetary science conferences, is if you have com- comet or asteroid headed towards planet Earth, and we realize this far enough in advance, you can do things like try and steer it, blow it up, things like that. Now, the energy necessary to actually blow up an asteroid, we don't have that kind of energy, not a concern. But you can certainly remove chunks off the surface in the process of trying to steer it in a new direction. So you can imagine... and. 
there's Soviet, former Soviet, there's Russian students talking about actually trying to do this in the future to practice. You can imagine you take an asteroid, you attach explosives to it to fire the explosives to shift the orbit of the asteroid. Well, this is inevitably going to remove chunks of asteroid that are now new, smaller asteroids. But if they're not small enough and they're headed towards us instead of somewhere else, you could end up with a ring of, of impacts all the way around the planet. And if this ring happens to occur in the northern hemisphere, well, that's where most of the land masses of our planet happen to be. That's going to wipe out all life on Earth? No, it's just going to make most life on right. Earth quite most sad. Most life. Okay. And that's the thing. So again, they call it, you know, remember like Armageddon, right? We call this one the planet killer, yeah. right? But even that wouldn't do the trick. And of course, you know, now there's all this research, right? That, that in fact, maybe the vast majority of the biological life on Earth is not on the, on the top, mm. on the outside, on the crust, but actually is within the, the crust of the Earth. By mass, but not by, by complexity. Yeah, There's but it can complex get complex life. later, right? It can evolve True. out of its, you know, out of the ground and, and take over. And it will take long enough that will be oil, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can, <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and in fact, the Earth will have recycled its elements and the iron will be lying around on the ground again and the, you know, and the ground bacteria will have come back is, to it'll conquer be enough the land. Billion years in the future that the sun will kind of have destroyed our planet. So right. the way that we really do need to worry is about fifty million well, years. We'll get there. We'll get okay, there. We'll fine. Get there. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I've two more things I want to talk about. Okay. Um, but just you know, because there's other stuff that can scour life off Earth, right? Like think about like a uh, gamma ray burst. True. Right. So you do have to worry about, now as far as we know, at this point in our orbit around the center of the galaxy, so this can change as we continue to orbit. This is the problem with orbiting is we're a moving target. Is at this point, we're safe. As far as we know, there are no nearby giant stars getting ready to go hypernova that have their rotational axes and thus their future gamma ray jets pointed at us. Eta Carina could potentially be a gamma ray burst as near as we can tell from looking at its structure. It's not pointed at us. So we'll be able to see it. We're close enough that we could have been destroyed. And this is actually a really neat way to destroy life because it basically... I like the neat way. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the gamma rays are only going to hit one side of the planet, and then the other half of the planet is going to get protected by that first half of the planet, spherical objects, three dimensions, and all that. So the gamma rays hit one side of the atmosphere. They instantly destroy large amounts of the ozone layer and cause uh, all sorts of neat chemical reactions that cause larger molecules to form in the upper atmosphere. This has the double effect of overall dimming the amount of light that hits the planet, cooling things off, but also allowing ultraviolet through, which is kind of dangerous and kills things. So in the process of destroying our atmosphere, it destroys the ability of plants, the basis of our food chain, to be plants. So you end up with dead plants. So it sterilizes half the planet. So it sterilizes half the planet, and this becomes a chain reaction working around the planet. And so things that are underground when this occurs, probably okay. If they stay underground, probably okay, but will eventually starve to death. It's that starving to death part right. that's problematic. But then the ozone layer returns and Again, life, life finds returns. a way, and so that didn't work. 
Um, uh, okay, so so then you know other you know, supernova explosion going off. It, I guess if it was close enough, it would. Stop. And this is the creepy right. one: is we could actually people forget about white dwarfs. Mm-hmm. They're small. They're not that bright. It's easy for them to go unnoticed. Now, if you happen to have a white dwarf in a binary system that is fairly close, hidden in gas and dust, so it's fairly obscured, and that white dwarf starts selfishly, gravitationally nomming its neighbor, and it exceeds the the point at which its electron degeneracy pressure, the pressure at which the electrons are pushing against one another to support that white dwarf star. If it becomes so massive that the gravitational crush on that star overcomes the electrons pushing the star apart, the electrons are going to go, okay, protons, we're joining forces and becoming neutrons. There's a burst of energy. It collapses down to a neutron star. There's a supernova in the process. And that could happen nearby, and we just haven't seen that pair of quietly considering self-destruction but, suicide okay. murder packed stars. Right. So we get this we get this type two supernova within type one A. Type one A, yeah. We get a type one A supernova within how far? Right? If it's like, you know, if it's Alpha Centauri, we're are we doomed? Alpha Centauri, yes, totally doomed. Totally so, doomed. Like it would like so, destroy the Earth. Yeah, we're looking at order <laughs> order yeah. of kilolight years on this one. Kilolight years. Within thousands of light years. Yeah. If a if we get a, a type one A supernova, it would probably destroy life on Earth. Same way the gamma ray burst did. Gamma ray the gamma yeah. ray burst. Yeah, but, but not the Earth itself. No, Earth <laughs> is still there. Safe. All right. <laughs> but for how long? Okay, so so explosions in space. All right, now I'm going to say the black holes because that is a bad one. Um, so so then, okay, so I think we've I think what we're driving at is almost everything that we're afraid of is really just something that we should personally we be afraid of. Humans and life, current life forms should be afraid of, but future life forms. They don't care. They'll and, evolve out of it, and, and, and there'll be a long-forgotten history. That they might dig up some crater, you know, under the, some sea mount, and go, "Oh yeah, that's where the humans were destroyed." And, right. And, <laughs> and 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 this is where organizations like the Lifeboat Foundation, which which both David Brennan and I are on the board of, this is where organizations like that are working to collect vast samples of genetic materials and seeds to essentially figure out how do we create a genetic arc that would allow all of the different critters that we wish we knew more about to exist in the future. Yeah. How do we create that future where black rhinos can exist again? Yeah. Cloning's not there yet. This is probably good, but I don't know. Black rhinos are kind of awesome. Okay. So I think, you know, and then we can, we can throw a bunch of others out like alien invasion. Again, it's just us, right? Aliens will come. They'll kill us all, enslave us, take our water. Well, you know, we do have to worry about death stars. Death stars. Oh, right, right, of Alder- course. Alderaan is not coming back together again. Right. But did, the amount of energy required to actually... Aliens? I know, but the amount of energy to actually destroy... Aliens, hey, uh, they well, got ha- here, didn't they? Wait a second. Are, are, is this backwards? <laughs> Aren't I the one who's supposed to be? Yes, true. The aliens got here. They somehow brought their Death Star, and then they shot their super laser and destroyed the Earth. Yeah, no, actually, there's a fantastic website that someone actually did the math yeah. on on what it would take, and I forget what it was, and it was ludicrous. And you know, yeah. no aliens are going to be. Yeah, Phil's run. Phil plates run the calculations yeah. as well. Yeah. it is ludicrous. We yeah. do not have the capacity. It is doubtful the capacity will ever exist. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Ten of, to the twenty-third joules, Martin's saying down yeah. front. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's not going to happen. 
Um, so let's move on then, I think, to the things that will probably, most likely, and eventually, inevitably destroy the Earth. So the first one, and you were sort of jumping at already, is our sun is heating up. Our sun is heating up, and it's a gradual process, but even before our sun decides to blow it up to become a red giant star, it's going to heat up enough that the slight change in temperature at the surface of our planet is going to cause the oceans to evaporate just enough that it creates a runaway greenhouse effect. And the problem is, as you get more and more water vapor in the Earth's atmosphere, it becomes harder and harder for IR radiation, heat, to escape the surface of our planet. The hotter it gets, the more water evaporates, the more of an insulating effect it has. Eventually, we end up with no more water that isn't in our atmosphere. And when you're trying to right. drink it, that's not where you want it. Right. And we and we talk about how, you know, the it's going to take, whatever, 6 billion years, 7 million years 50, for, for the sun. No, for, no, oh. for the sun to... To oh, actually billion, turn, yeah, yeah to, you know, six, five, six billion years for the sun to turn to this red giant, and actually, we don't get to this. Um, but, but, but the sun is heating up, and it's not long. I mean, you say, you it's know, that 50, 60 million, 50, 60 million, you know, maybe 500 million years on the outside. That, and, and there's a, again, there's a, there's a really great uh, book, Life and Death of Planet Earth. I'm trying to remember what it was. That, that essentially, you know, 500 million years ago, Earth was really too cold. Yeah. And the sun, the heating hadn't really kicked in, and so you couldn't get these complex life forms. And then within this, this billion-year zone, you get enough heat that the complex life forms can come out and fill our atmosphere with oxygen, and then the sun's going to get too hot, and it's all going to go in reverse, and then the complex life forms aren't going to last, and then eventually it's just going to be this, this, you know, parched desert and all of the water and all the carbon dioxide has been pushed up into the atmosphere, which will cause new chemistries, which yeah. will cause, which will cause us to look more and more like Venus. Yeah, and all that water though is going. All those hydrogen atoms, just like our helium atoms before, they're going. Yeah, right? unless they're they get leaving. tied up in molecules. Yeah, but they're in the water and they're going to get broken out and carbon into space. Well, this is this is where carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide. There's so many molecules. They, Hydrocarbon chains are going to end up forming, sulfuric acid potentially. What's really scary is when you start looking at the models of how Venus got to be Venus, that's potentially our future. And uh, Venus, 900 degrees Fahrenheit, not so good to live in. Yeah. So, so we're going to get this heating, and then that will kill all the surface life. And maybe that, in, that inside life has got a few more billion years. But... So, so what's next? So, so the next inevitable death of the planet Earth. Inevitable. There's other ways we can die. But inevitably, our sun is going to end up bloating up into a red giant star. Along the way, it has mass loss. So while the red giant star will be bigger than the Earth's current orbit, as the sun loses mass, our orbit creeps further and further and further out over time. So as the sun has less mass, our orbit increases. So it's pulling on us less. It's just the way orbital mechanics works. It's kind of convenient because if our current models for mass loss are correct, the sun doesn't eat us. It right. simply fries us. Right. It so, kills most life on Earth, but still the stuff that's inside, heated by the internal cooling heat of the Earth, is still going to be around. 
internal cooling heating. Heating, heating. Yeah, sorry. They stuff <laughs> by the internal heat on the cooling earth. So, it's still so going to be around. I, I think what he's trying to say is while the surface of the planet is going yeah. to be a crispy critter broiled by mm -hmm. the sun, as you dig down, while radioactive de decays within our planet will continue to keep the inside of the planet fairly warm. Mm, and just the cores. It's still cooler than the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and eventually, you know, when the sun goes away and the whole environment cools back down again, you're going to have this slow cooling off of planet Earth. And so it's still an, an environment that, that life forms can grab energy Well, from. And, and the thing is, once our sun's done with its whole being a bloated star phase, it's going to let go of its atmosphere, become a beautiful planetary nebula, like the Owl Nebula. It's one of my, my favorite things to look at. And our sun is going to leave behind a cooling white dwarf that will continue to feebly cast a, a very harsh light for a while. So our, our whole future, well, it's, it's long stretching before us. But it's, it's weird to think about that, that, that we as complex life forms, we don't have a long time on no. this planet in the vast scale. But when you think about just how tough life is, that you scrape it off of radio, you know, radioactive cooling towers and you know, nuclear uh, reactors, that you find it in these heat vents. You find all these places. Life will find a way, you know, quote to Jurassic Park. And I, I, you know, again, you can imagine it. And then, of course, you can imagine the life that has been kicked up into space, you know, constantly. Fermi that's floating around the solar system and landing on Mars and ah, right. um, my, my so. favorite magazine caption of all time is from Scientific American it's it's an article on asteroid impacts and in fact the impact that killed off all the dinosaurs when it, it formed the Chicxulub crater in the Yucatan and one interesting Mayan fact is is the sinkholes that had water in them that were the northern most sediments of the Mayan culture those are tracing the rim of the Chicxulub crater but but anyways when that crater was formed a happy little brontosaurus or a happy large brontosaurus as the case may be eating leaves minding its own business on the Yucatan Peninsula wherever on the planet that part of the planet was when that asteroid came in, it, it melted a large area and sent a shockwave through that flung debris, plants, and that brontosaurus at escape velocities into space. And, and yeah. so this magazine capture, caption wrote, when the asteroid hit, it flung soil, plants, and dinosaurs into, into orbit. It wow. was awesome. That's cool. So, so yeah, we definitely wiped out humanity a long time ago. Life is still tricky, so uh, and it's still surprising that even the sun goes through this phase. Now, now maybe if the math is wrong, then Earth might get consumed by the sun, and then it's and, gone. And it's not so much the math. We're pretty sure we're doing the math right. What we're not sure about is if we understand mass loss rates correctly. Right. We're still understanding that. Okay. We don't have any stars other than our sun close enough to measure mass loss rates precisely and since we're trying to predict what our sun will do in the future can't measure that okay. precisely so so we've got this burned out cinder of the earth orbiting the sun the sun is a small white dwarf is there any chance that now with all of the sort of loss of the sun that the earth is going to somehow sort of spiral inward no no gravity does not work that way so it's going to be spiraling probably outward well or so, just so, so once the sun its... is happily a white dwarf it's no longer undergoing mass loss but hasn't it lost a lot of its mass it has, so we're further out. Right. But, right. We, but, we will compensate 
perfectly in. Yeah, there. we'll yeah. compensate, and we're just going to keep orbiting that okay. little sucker. All right. Now, what about the interactions between the remaining planets? Is there a chance that if you just run the planets for for trillions of years, they're eventually going to collide? Not that we know of. No. No. And and the neat thing is when you look at the Nice model for how our solar system got to where it is now. In the past, the planets were in radically different situations. But over time, through the age of the heavy bombardment, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune migrated outwards with Jupiter and Saturn passing through different resonances that had the effect of flinging the other two ice giants to greater orbits. Now, everything seems to be settled where it is. So unless we get some new resonance forming because somehow we like capture another planet, low probability, not going to happen unless monkeys make Shakespeare, um, I think we're good. Okay. Another star system collides, passes Space within. Space is empty. No, I know, but you got a long time, right? <laughs> Take a trillion years. True. Right? So could we have these interactions? But it's still not going to wreck the Earth. It's just going to no, sling just gonna it out into space. Else. Right, okay, yeah. okay. Black hole. See, this actually is a non-zero probability and greater than monkeys creating Shakespeare issue. Is a black hole. Yeah. Right, okay, okay. So, all right, I'm, I'm intrigued. So, so we, we have a couple of different things to worry about. First of all, there's the rogue stellar mass black hole. This is a former star that, that started out probably greater than 10 solar masses. Uh, we say probably because, again, mass loss rates, if it loses enough mass, it ends up becoming something other than a black hole. Uh, started out probably greater than 10 solar masses. When it died, it ended up collapsing down into a black hole during the process of having a supernova explosion. And now that dark sucker is just happily orbiting the center of the Milky Way, and its orbit is perhaps elliptical, causing it to cross our solar system's orbit the way comets cross our planet's orbit. There's nothing about this that makes the black hole a hunter-seeker out to eat us. Right. It's simply orbital dynamics. If it has an elliptical orbit that crosses our solar system's orbit, it could sneak up on us, pass through the Oort cloud, and as Oort cloud objects get eaten, we might see flashes of high energy. Might. It's fairly empty out there, but we'll start seeing things get their orbits changed. And if we're unfortunate, we could get nommed by that. that yeah, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, think of the chances, right, of yeah. this, this stellar mass black hole yes. actually colliding with the Earth. I mean, it's what it's most likely going to do is just, you know, run through the solar system, scatter the planets, and again we get back to that Earth floating through space, cold and alone, but and not destroyed. So it, it depends on crossing times. This is the neat thing, is black holes have great reach. Mm -hmm. They like to reach out and gravita gravitationally touch other objects. So if that 10 solar mass-ish or greater, so let's say it's a large stellar mass black hole, it started out as a huge star. It's passing through our solar system. It has great reach. Now, if another solar system passes through our solar system, that might be a one solar mass star. Everything's thrown into chaos, but that one solar mass star doesn't have the gravitational reach that black hole has. And if the orbits are such that we end up co-orbiting so that it very slowly migrates, it's that slowly passing black hole with a long duration to gravitationally yank on us, that's what we have to fear. If it's moving fast, we're good. But slow if it's motion. moving slow and it's got a long reach, it could pull the Earth in. Yes. Into uh, yes. doomed. 
yes. trajectory. Yes. Okay, now we're cooking. <laughs> right now we got something here. So this, I mean, seriously, like this is it. We've gone the through the age of the universe. Yeah, we've gone through all of these these <laughs> encounters, these situations, and we still haven't found something that really can take out the planet. And we've got one. Yes, I love it. Okay, so so let's say though that we luck out and we don't hit a black hole for a while. Is that then possible? Just, yeah. That, I mean, that, that's the thing is people always talk about, well, someday in the future, the black dwarfs will vacuum up the entire universe and the universe will be nothing but one giant. No, no. Gravity doesn't work that way. So, yes, over the future trillions of years before protons decay, we're going to get to that. Black holes will slowly, as they gravitationally interact with other objects, making their merry way orbiting through space, they will gradually eat things up, including the photons from the cosmic microwave background. Get to that as well. But they're not going to eat everything. There's going to be white dwarfs that escape. There's going to be planets orbiting white dwarfs that escape. It all depends on how dense a region of space you're in. If you're in a low-density neighborhood, you're probably good because the crossing times, the probability of interaction, all those numbers work out to the protons go first. So you're inevitably going to be destroyed via some interesting process. It's just not the black hole. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? Well, hold on. So well, like, what interesting process? will destroy. Like, feel free to offer some suggestions because I'm out. <laughs> okay, so... No, 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 before your proton decay, which is yeah. still theoretical, you know, get, smash into a star. Low probability. The black holes... Gobbled up by a black hole. Uh, yeah. What else is there? Hit by a jet from a quasar? <laughs> like, what? what's going to destroy it? So, so really, we have to worry about being decayed or nommed. Those, those right, are really right. Our that's two it. Fears. So really, yeah. black holes. Like, and so you know, obviously, we talked about stellar mass black holes. We've got the supermassive black holes. Right. And so and so, this is the question, right? We've got these these planets orbiting, you know, orbiting their stars, which are orbiting the Milky Way, and this whole collection is orbiting this supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way. Will everything eventually make its way into that supermassive black hole? No. But what's interesting is, so in about five, six billion years, depending on whose models you read. We're going to combine with the Andromeda galaxy to, depending on whose paper you read, either form Milkomedra, Milkomedia, Milkdromeda, which is easier to say. Yeah, I like Milkdromeda. Yeah, and, and there's actually, I got to narrate my second planetarium show, but my first one that I was really excited about because it's all science, on just, this was one of those things that it was talked about called Cosmic Castaways. Follow me on Astronomy Cast, which hopefully you already will. And, and when it hits the internets, we will let you know. Uh, go to Youngstown State University. You can watch it. Anyways, in about five to six billion years, we're going to combine with the Andromeda galaxy to form an even larger galaxy that will no longer be spiral in structure. Eventually, our central supermassive black hole, their central supermassive black hole, are probably going to merge into an even more super supermassive black hole. Now, over the course of history, or the future of our, our universe, as the case may be, we're eventually going to also combine with Triangulum, with the Magellanic Clouds, with all the other galaxies that are part of our local group. We're working our way towards our nearest supercluster, and as the universe expands, that's eventually going to become the entirety of our universe. So we will be part of one giant galaxy that used to be the local group, 
and we're going to be part of one supercluster, and everything else will have drifted across the observable universe's horizon. And will this giant elliptical galaxy destroy the Earth? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> Same problem, right? Nommed or okay, so fine. So, so you know, and obviously the math is impossible to predict, and time is long in space and in the so universe. So stellar collisions are possible. Black hole nomming is possible. Right. Getting somehow, we don't think from current models, sucked into a supermassive black hole. Again, models say no, but right. it's possible. Right, some kind of three-body interaction that yeah. fires us on an orbit that enters the, the event horizon of yeah. the supermassive. Okay, great. Um, so, but then, maybe, by all likelihood, or maybe, we don't know the math yet, we'll miss all that. None of, the, none of these, essentially, collisions will happen with the Earth, and it will last until when? This is where we start looking at long time. Take a one, add 38 zeros, 10 to the 38 seconds into the future. This is where we start looking at potential proton decay. Now, the problem is we keep trying to detect proton decay because, well, we know from supernovae that, that galaxies should have one supernova explosion, galaxies like ours should have one supernova explosion roughly every 100 years. This means that if you look at 100 galaxies for one year, one of them will have a supernova explosion. If, if you look at 100 times 365 in one night, you'll probably see one supernova. That works. So in theory, if we're looking for proton decay, take a large vat of water. Make it large enough so that it has 10 to the 38 protons in it. In theory, we should watch one of these suckers decay, and they refuse to. So our, our estimates of, of how long it takes protons to decay keep evolving. As, if they even decay. And this is the problem. There really is no good particle physics underlying theory. This is one of those great frustrations to scientists. We desperately want that set of equations that describes everything so that we can, in our computers, from first principles, F equals MA, build the universe. And particle physics refuses to behave. So, so until we have a model that works and explains why we get the masses, why we get the spins, why we get all of the different characteristics that we find in particles. We can't figure out how long it'll be until and if protons decay. And so what you're telling me is that the Earth is unkillable. Only if protons refuse to decay. Right, yeah. If, 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 the, if it turns out that protons do not decay, then the Earth's protons will last forever? But so, so if, the, if the Earth is going to last forever, then eventually it will get numbed by something because right. the crossing times it's allow... It's just a matter yeah. of time. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, still, I don't think the Mayans predicted this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but one of the really awesome things about how all of this works is right now the reason supermassive black holes aren't happily sitting out there evaporating is because the cosmic microwave background, that echo of light from when atoms first formed and electrons um, and protons and atomic nuclei stopped all interacting together. That moment the cosmic microwave background was formed, light was let loose, and we're still seeing that echo of light. 
And that echo of light is sufficient to counteract a supermassive black hole, in fact, any stellar mass large black hole, from being able to evaporate. But over time, as the universe continues to expand, that radiation is getting the longer and longer wavelengths, lower and lower energies, and eventually that light's pretty much going to get spread out and eaten up. At that point, the supermassive black holes are going to be able to start evaporating, turning our universe into this basically smooth continuum of energy. Then the protons start decaying into if, energy. If they decay. If they decay. Right. Otherwise, it's Earth and this smooth, right? <laughs> energy field <laughs> this so, expanding accelerating universe but, but you know in that universe eventually the black holes do get to eat everything mm -hmm. so if the black holes do get to eat everything right, right, then we course. get eaten by okay, the black hole okay, and so, the black hole evaporates and we have in, a smooth continuum right, of so, energy whoa okay so in infinite time i get it right no infinite yeah. time then everything is eventually a black hole and all those black holes will eventually evaporate either way earth will be yes well thank you very much my pleasure. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com. Tweet us at AstronomyCast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you miss the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy AstronomyCast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax-deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click Support the Show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show is edited by Preston Gibson. 